Well, good morning. Welcome. My name is Andrew. I have the the privilege of being uh, one of the pastors here, and it is good to be together this morning. And before we uh, launch in uh, to God's Word, that's right, we we open the Bible every week because we believe um, that God has something to speak uh, to us in every part of our lives, uh, no matter where we are. And so it's a joy to do that together. Uh, But before we launch into that, let me um, pray and ask for God's help as we do that. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this place to meet as a church family to sing and encourage one another and bear the burdens really of life together. I pray that would really be true of us this morning, that we would entrust our concerns, our cares, the worries of this life uh, to you and to one another during this hour of worship, uh, gathered worship as your church. And I ask that you would speak and that your spirit would would act, right, and uncover our wrong assumptions Encourage us in our struggles and deepen our joy uh, as we hear again this morning the good news of Jesus and the life that he offers. Where I speak my own words, let those fall away. And by God, where I speak your word after you, would, would it stick? Um, by the power of your spirit and for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I think I can count on one hand the number of movies that Beth and I uh, have seen in the last year. Um, not because we don't enjoy going to the movies or unwinding uh, with, a good, with a good film, uh, but really sleep just almost always takes priority uh, in this season of life with a one-year-old in the house. I'm sure many of you can, um, can relate to that. But when we do get to watch one, we really enjoy a good biography, a good sketch of an interesting person's life. And there have been some really good ones in, uh, in the recent past, right? Louis Zamperini's powerful story of redemption and survival in... Unbroken. Uh, the book was even better than the movie, but a great story. Um, Stephen Hawking's uh, life uh, depicted in The Theory of Everything, which is not over, but is this life of love and perseverance. Uh, Steve Jobs and all the movies that are being made about him, uh, right? We love meaningful stories about interesting people. And I think one of the reasons is because really all of our lives are telling a story. My life is telling a story. Yours is doing the same. Even if no one is making a movie about it, right? And it raises the question, at least it has for me this, this week, is what story is my life telling? What story is your life telling? And there's a quote from author Donald Miller that I thought really got right at this question. I mean, here's what he had to say. He said, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot, testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put on a record to think about the story you had just seen. The truth is you wouldn't remember that movie a week later, except you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to be meaningful. The truth is that if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful. It won't make a life meaningful either. Now, this hit me square square in the face this week, not because I've been working for a Volvo uh, in particular, though maybe that's some of you in this room, but but I didn't have any trouble filling in that blank, whatever it is that I've been working for, the things I think will make my life meaningful. Like really deep down, the things that, that I give my energy and my time and my money Two, that I think will all add up to the good life in the end. 
I'm sure you wouldn't have any trouble with me filling in that blank, some of those things. Um, which, of course, begs the question, what should fill in that blank, right? What should we be filling up our time and energy and using our resources toward? What should our life be for? That's really the question uh, for us this morning. What should our life be for? Would your life on the big screen look like this, like the pursuit of a Volvo? <laughs> or is the plot bigger than that? Is it going somewhere in the end worth going? What should your life be for? That's, that's the question this morning, and Jesus answers it for us in the text. Your life isn't just meant to be an interesting story or a good movie. Uh, it's meant for a mission. Your life is meant for a mission. That's what our text uh, Matthew 10, we're jumping into Matthew 10, verses 1 through 25. And we'll see this mission that Jesus sends his followers on. And we'll see three things in particular. First, Jesus sends ordinary people on this mission. Um, second, Jesus sends into opposition or into hostile territory. And third, um, Jesus leads the way. Uh, so first, Jesus sends ordinary people into his mission. Last week, Tim left us with a prayer that Jesus gave his disciples while he's looking out over the crowds, right? Harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus gives his followers this prayer, right? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, so pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so as we turn the corner into chapter 10, Jesus goes ahead and enlists who those followers are, who the 12 are that he's about to send on this mission. And Matthew lists them, and it's a pretty uneventful list, right? They're just ordinary guys. Not much is said about any of them. Simon's nickname is given. He's Peter the Rock. Um, some fathers are listed to distinguish popular names. Matthew himself, he slips himself in there um, as kind of the tax collector, the dirty tax guy. Um, and then Judas is listed last as the future betrayer of Jesus. But on the whole, it's an underwhelming list. The only thing, the only thing that brings these guys together and that makes them even worth being sent out on a mission is the fact that Jesus has called them. Jesus has called them to himself. And then he sends them out together. And as Matthew tells it, you can imagine um, the disciples, right? They're finishing their prayer. Send out laborers into the harvest field. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right? They all join together in prayer. And then Jesus turns to them and says, hey, congratulations. Your prayer has been answered. Right? Uh, bring it in, and I'm going to tell you what to do. Basically, he says, pray for laborers to go out into the harvest. And then he answers their prayer right in the moment. And he sends them out into the harvest field. And look again at verse 1. You'll see what they've been given to do or what they've been given, namely the authority to do all the things that Jesus himself has been doing in the region, in cities all around uh, the region, casting out demons, healing diseases, raising the dead, you know, ordinary stuff, right? Things that ordinary people do. No, Jesus gives this ordinary bunch some extraordinary authority. He basically says, go do what you've seen me do. Go into each town literally as if you were me. And that's what it means to be sent by Jesus on his mission, to go into your world, even as ordinary as you are, to go into the places that God has called you and to do what he does. Preach the good news of rescue for all people. I mean, it's the, that's right at the heart of the theme of this book, of this gospel, right? Repent for the kingdom is here and it's open to all. 
Heal the sick, bring life out of death, get close to the untouchable, right? Those who are outcast. Work toward freedom for the oppressed. Start right here and do what I'm doing. I mean, to be a Christian is to follow Jesus, right? We've established that uh, through this gospel. And to follow Jesus is to be sent by Jesus, always. Every Christian is a sent Christian. Not just what I always thought as I grew up in my mind was just people who went like across the ocean to go share the gospel. No, all Christians are sent Christians by Jesus. Ordinary people sent on really an extraordinary mission. Jesus will turn to you and to me at the end of our prayer to send out laborers into the harvest field. He will turn to you and me and say, congratulations, your prayer has been answered. Right? Bring it in, and I'm going to tell you what to do. And you may, like me, feel unqualified for that work. Right? But that's just the point. You can't do it. The disciples couldn't do it. They needed Jesus' authority. Jesus makes them adequate, and he does the same for you and for me. He wants you for this work, for this mission, regardless of your age or your vocation or whatever you might think is a red flag in your life that disqualifies you from the work of sharing the good news of Jesus and extending grace to those that you know. I mean, Matthew, as he sticks himself into this list, Matthew, the tax collector, he knocks down all those barriers. There's no one too far away from Jesus that that is disqualified from this mission. This is what life is for, not for small things like Volvos, but for meaningful work of, sorry to anybody who has a Volvo, by the way, they're great cars, I know they're safe, Uh, but your life is, I didn't write that down, I should just stop, Uh, your life is for something bigger than that, right? It's for the, the meaningful work of inviting people to encounter Jesus, right? This king who is powerful enough to make dead things live and who cares enough to do that in your life and in my life and through you and through me. So the question for you and for me this morning is this. Are we living like we're sent on a mission? I mean, that question has just hit me all week. Are we living like we are sent on a mission from Jesus, on purpose, with this kind of clarity and intention. I mean, kids, students, if, you, if you're a Christian, Jesus has sent you into your school or into your circle of friends. Not, not there, you're not there on accident. You're there because Jesus sent you there. And not, you're not there for yourself, but you're there for him. Friends, where you live is not an accident, believe it or not. Our neighborhoods, where you work is not an accident. Your friends group, your mom's group, who you play golf with, your soccer team. Do you believe that Jesus has sent you on a mission there? Now back to the Volvo uh, for a moment. The reason this has hit me in the face this week uh, is because I realized two things at at the same time. One, that's a pretty accurate description of my day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month life, working for small things without the bigger mission in mind, right? Not a Volvo, but a a nice, lush, green lawn that rivals my neighbors. Yes, I have been, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that, working towards that, coveting that. I spent a lot of time watching Royals games on my phone, which is ridiculous. 
I spent a lot of time and energy on things that won't add up to a meaningful life in the end, not by themselves. Those aren't bad things, right? A nice lawn and watching a Royals game. They can actually be helpful, useful in the mission. But ultimately, no one wants to watch a movie about a guy obsessed with his lawn. That was the first realization. The other, more terrifying realization was that I didn't even realize it was happening. It's not like I woke up one morning and made a conscious decision to give my life to those things. But it happens. It's happening. Right? A term that's often used for businesses, for organizations, is mission drift, right? Um, a company begins with a clear picture, a clear idea of what it wants to do and its purposes. Um, but, but then over time, right, the mission, uh, it drifts. Right? It's something that CEOs and presidents and people uh, in those types of positions, they fight really hard against mission drift. Have you ever thought about fighting the mission drift in your own life? Like a raft in the middle of an ocean, right? We can so easily be carried along by the worries and events and dreams and seasons of our lives. And before we know it, we are miles down the coast, miles from where we want to be, miles from Jesus and his mission. I mean, no one wants to build their life around the pursuit of a Volvo, but it happens, right? We drift or we settle or we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to make it. And we forget or we don't realize that Jesus has called us to himself. And then he has sent us on a life of meaningful mission in the work that he is doing. So here's just a couple of quick ways right from the text to fight mission drift, to live to live like you've been sent, like that is what your life is for, that you are sent on a mission from Jesus. First, love in both word and deed. In word and deed. Look at verse, verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Now, verse, verse 7 is the short version of Jesus' stump, stump speech, right? Um, Repent, the kingdom is here. This, this grace-soaked message that the king has come and now everything is different. Everybody can be in if they come to him and follow him. And Jesus says, proclaim that. Talk about me. Right? It's pretty simple. Part of the mission is telling people the good news of what Jesus has done right where you are. Introduce the people in your circles to Jesus. And for some of us, me included chiefly maybe, is we need to enlarge our circles to include people that don't know Jesus, right? People that, that we are interacting with constantly that don't know this good news and that we can share it with. But we cannot be silent, right? The good news of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. We also can't ignore the acts of grace, right? There are these proclaim this message and then do all of these things, he says, they're necessary to the mission. And you may not have the skills to heal the sick. Maybe you do. Uh, but you can bring them a meal or pray, pray with them. You probably can't raise the dead, I'm guessing. It's a hunch. But you can listen to those who are worried. You can befriend those who are lonely. You can speak a kind word. You can write an encouraging note. You can, you can perform acts of service. Right? You can bring life where there is death. 
You can be generous. You can make genuine friendships, right? You can do your work well. That is part of this, too. So love in both word and deed. Second, live generously. Live generously. If there's one thing that's crystal clear from this account where Jesus sends them out, it's that the mission hinges on both generosity and hospitality. And as I thought about it more, that's exactly where my, my lawn and my Royals game can actually come together in the mission, right? A generosity and hospitality of inviting people into your life, watching games together, having picnics together, right? The disciples were instructed in the text to travel light and to rely on the hospitality of strangers who accepted their message, who would not turn them away. And Jesus says, don't take payment, don't get bogged down by stuff, just take what's essential and rely on others. It's astounding, really. And some of us need to live more simply for this to be true. Um, right? Simplicity may be the first act of generosity. What you need to hear this morning is maybe live simply, not just live generously. But the principle is this. Our involvement in the mission must include both, both generous giving of our time and our talent and our treasure and an eager willingness right, to, to let go of the grip that possessions have on us by opening up ourselves to the hospitality and the generosity of others. Third, be thoughtful. Um, Just like the 12 disciples in this passage, we are sent. That is true of us, those of us who follow Jesus. But it's going to look different, right, for you and I than it did for them. Uh, For one, verses 5 and 6, Jesus makes it clear that the 12 are only to start with, with the Jews, right? It says, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This isn't some kind of discrimination strategy, right? We'll see, we'll see the gospel and Jesus' instructions for Gentile ministry, non-Jew ministry later in the book. But this is just good strategy for a bunch of ordinary guys who are going on a mission for Jesus, right? He tells them to start where they are and make connections in their neighborhood, <laughs> Make connections in the circles where they already are. Go there. So the principle for us is to be thoughtful, strategic. Don't engage the mission willy-nilly. That's why I've made such a big deal out of the places where you already are, right? Your schools, your neighborhoods, your, the places where you work, your extended families. Why go out of your way on the mission when there are people right there that you already know who need this good news. And this is one reason as a church that we are so committed to partnerships, right, with others who are doing good work in the community, like Advice and Aid, who is literally now right across the street, caring for moms and families in this community, right? We're praying for how we can be a blessing to Trail Ridge in this school. So as you engage Jesus' mission, be thoughtful, be generous, and do it in word and deed. But Jesus says it's not going to be easy. He knows that. So, so take comfort in this. This is our second point this morning. Jesus sends, he sends us toward opposition. Not away from it, but towards discomfort, hardship, difficulty, pain. Great. Right? That's our second point this morning. Jesus sends into opposition or into hostile t- territory. Look at verse, down at verse 16. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep, in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's a pretty striking metaphor, right? You're going to be like sheep in a wolf pack. Sheep among wolves. That's why I'm, I'm sending you there. 
I can just imagine the disciples who are like, whoa, 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 right? Wolves eat sheep, right? Like, this is, not, this is not a good thing. Jesus says you're going to be detained, you're going to be questioned, tortured, and then murdered, basically. That's what, that's what happens, right? Of the 12 disciples, Judas, the betrayer, he hangs himself. John dies a prisoner of sorts, and the remaining 10 are all, more, all murdered, like sheep among wolves. Now, we live with immense religious freedom, at least for now. But in many cultures today and throughout history, right, Christians continue to be, have been and continue to be persecuted for their faith, for, doing, for going out on this mission right here. We may have freedom, but don't think for a moment that Jesus doesn't mean to send us into opposition. No matter who you are, no matter how much authority or power you may have, the life that he calls us to always, always, always runs against the grain of the world's structures. Always. And Jesus is offensive. Jesus is offensive. In every time period, in every culture, every age group, gender, sexual orientation, personality, every human Jesus is offensive at some level. For starters, he is all or nothing. He demands everything from all of us. And for some, that's pretty offensive. But it's the type of demand that you get to make when you walk into a grave dead, and then you walk out in your own strength. He isn't just a good moral teacher, right? He's the king who rose from the dead. You can't say to Jesus, hey, I like your resurrection. I, I would like to take that. But I don't really like your teaching on sexuality. I'm going to leave that. Thanks. You don't get to pick and choose like that. He's either king of all of it or none of it. He won't be a hobby. He won't be an inspiration, a Sunday morning ritual. And believe me, that's as true for me standing here now as it is for every one of us in this room. He is all or nothing. And he wants all of us. I mean, who, who isn't offended by that in some, at some level? But maybe more offensive is that Jesus says he has the final say in your life. He is the ultimate judge. He calls us all sinners, all of us, and that there's nothing that you and I can ever do to make ourselves good enough to get to God. Nothing ever. I need him, you need him to come save you, or you can ignore him and go to hell. Those, that's the type of thing that Jesus says which I know for some of you just saying go to hell made you squirm a little bit because it's offensive. <laughs> Jesus is not a self-help plan and he, he can't and will not just renovate your life. He will bulldoze your life and start over with it. And no one wants to hear that. Jesus is offensive and we are with him. He is our, he is our leader. We follow this man. So let me ask you, are you willing to get uncomfortable? Because there's no way around the discomfort. There's no way around it. Not if we're going to be faithful to follow Jesus. And this question gets me because I like to be liked, like desperately. I don't know if any of you have picked up on that over the last couple of years, but I like to be liked. Everything I do seems to revolve around this desire. It's one of my deepest wants. And Jesus says, get ready to be hated, laughed at, abused, killed. 
that's where I'm sending you, like sheep in a wolf pack. Which makes me wonder whose mission I'm really on sometimes. Because if I'm not uncomfortable, I'm probably not following Jesus, not really. I mean, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to care for the vulnerable, to let the things that he values be our values, that our lives should look different than everyone else's. Right, all these things that we, that we saw as he sent out the disciples, generosity, humility, sacrifice. We don't retreat in fear, but we stand with those who are oppressed. We serve, we love, we give ourselves away. So much so that even our families might reject us. They might turn away from us. That's what he says in verse 21. And we worship, we worship family. <laughs> would you follow Jesus if it meant your children would laugh at you or refuse to visit or if your brother despised you or your parents disowned you. I mean, there are people that live with that reality every day, maybe in this room. But for sure, with some of our persecuted brothers and sisters, we will be opposed, we will offend, and it might be really costly. But Jesus gives us this interesting picture. It's a it's two, two pictures, a, a weird metaphor, almost opposing metaphors at the end of verse 16, right? He says, I'm sending you out as sheep into a wolf pack, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Which I've read this before, and I thought, I don't know what that means. But he says, be, be a snake, be like a snake, wise and wary, shrewd, prudent, hard to pin down, right? You have to use discernment. Don't go looking for trouble, right? There's enough of it out there. Be a snake. Be difficult to catch. I think that's part of the picture that he's painting here. Now, some of us, this is me especially, some of us are so smooth, like when we do go out in this mission and share our faith, we're so smooth that people don't even know we're trying to share our faith with them, right? We're really good at being the snake. Like, we are really good at being relevant, always trying to fit in. We're not stirring the pot. That means we don't tell the whole truth. That's what that means, right? So Jesus also says, so be like a dove, right? Innocent and gentle, easy to catch. You know, almost just walks right into the trap. Well, if we take that too far, right, we, we end up being ignorant or, or naive or forgetting that we are sheep in a wolf pack, right? Ready to be devoured at any moment. Silly, irrelevant, too nice. So he says, be like a snake, difficult to catch, and innocent like a dove. Now, I heard a story, this may illustrate it best. I heard a story this last week about uh, Christians who lived in a country that was opposed to the gospel. And so they were meeting in a secret location, right? There were, I think it was a group of Christian leaders worshiping and getting training in a secret location. And authorities found them, busted in, right, pounded down the door and asked for identification from all of them. And you know what? They gladly handed it over. Gladly handed over their identification because they counted it a privilege to be associated with Jesus. They were meeting in secret, like snakes would. And yet when they were caught, innocent as doves, almost happy to be caught for Jesus. Almost happy to say, yes, this is, this is who we follow. But do you see the tension? It's subtle, but it's there, and it's, it's always going to be uncomfortable at some level. So this week, as you enter the places that God 
has sent you to, what would it be like for you to be both snake-like and dove-like? Because most of us are either one or the other by default. We're either really good at avoiding opposition or we're really good at attracting it and walking right into it. You will offend people with this message. You can't get around that, right? Jesus says, don't be offensive on your own standards. Like, be offensive because I'm offensive. But don't offend people and don't be a jerk. Don't be stupid, right? Be a snake, be a dove. But you will offend people with this message and that's going to be hard. It might even cost you your life. That's true for Christians around the world, and that may be true for you and for me someday. There's no way around it, but take hope. Hope. The final thing this morning is this, that Jesus leads the way. He leads the way. He never makes us go to places that he was unwilling to go. Never. And the difference is when he came, it was we that we were the ones that opposed him. Right? Who, had, who rejected him? He came to rescue us, and we put him on a cross and killed him. He came sent by the Father, opposed by humanity, and it was his blood that was shed for the mission. And he defeated death. I mean, just like, like we just sang, death has been defeated. Jesus reigns, Right? He gave his life to make us whole, again, to give us life. So what is your life for? If you claim to follow this Jesus, and he has given his life for you, what is your life for? It is meant for this mission. He has sent you into the world, into your world, the places you are, to do what he did, what he does, to proclaim his kingdom. You will offend people with this message. And that's going to be hard. But Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to you and to me, don't give up, don't give in. Stay with it, endure to the end, finish the race. Those who endure will be saved. That is a story, friends, worth telling. That is a life worth living, a mission worth enduring. Let's pray. God, thank you for a space to gather freely to worship, to encourage one another with this good word, good news, that death is defeated, that you reign, that there is, there is life that you offer that is abundant and full, way more meaningful than what we often tend to run for. So God, strengthen us today and in the days and weeks and months and years and for a lifetime of going away as a gathered church and being the church scattered into the places where you've called us, where you've sent us to proclaim this message, this good news, that a kingdom is here, that we can have life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.